we are continuing to talk about loving God as the primary principle of the Christian life. And uh, we understand, hopefully, that we were made for God. We were made for His pleasure. The book of Revelation tells us. And uh, that primarily this means not that we spend our days and our efforts in uh, religious activity or religious ceremony, uh, but that we really know God in a personal relationship. And uh, it's, a, it's a challenge because it's easy for us to think in terms of our relationships with one another, people that we can see, people that we can talk to and interact with and, and understand that we have common, uh, common interests, common ideals, things of that nature. Um, I do have two more if you're running out back there. You got enough? Okay. So... Anybody else? Yeah, you can, you can take these last two. And by the way, if you are, my, my wife was talking to me some about these, about these handouts. Um, there's really no right or wrong uh, answers for, for most of those. Uh, most of those, the, the uh, blanks there will be obvious based on uh, the scriptures and uh, then others are simply for the sake of discussion, and uh, those aren't going to have any right or wrong answer. Uh, it's uh, just something for you to think about and to spark your, your thought process. Though there, are, there are a number of different bulletins there in the handout. There's, there's one that's a little squiggly line. I don't know if you see that little squiggly there. Um, if you see that, that is a, a, a content-related uh, discussion blank or question uh, that uh, you can look at, the, look at the Scripture verse and probably find the idea behind it. Then the, the uh, bullet point that looks like a little thumbtack. Do you see that? There's a bullet point that looks like a little thumbtack. It, it's pretty small. Um, you might have to play trombone a little bit to see that. Um, that thumbtack is an application question. In other words, how does this point apply to your own personal life? And obviously there, that, that will vary depending on uh, who is filling it out. So a lot, of these, a lot of these you may want to actually take home with you and spend time in your, in your uh, personal quiet time in uh, thinking about those if you're, if you're so inclined. So together, again, let's go through this definition uh, based on a sermon by John Wesley, what it means to love God. Join me. To love God is to self-sacrificially commit oneself to delight in Him, to rejoice in serving Him, to desire continually to please Him, to seek one's happiness in Him, and to thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of him. Amen. I think that about covers it all. Um, it helps us, it helps me to put some parameters on the idea of loving God. Because for one, we live in a culture that has turned love into something that's very touchy-feely, 
something that is tied very much to our emotional state. And uh, it's good for us to understand, while it, it's wonderful, you know, uh, love is a, is a wonderful thing, and, and uh, men and, and women have been writing poetry and writing songs, uh, I suppose, through just about all of the ages of history, really. Uh, and uh, you can look back and see how that has been expressed in numbers of ways. But to give us an idea, to get a handle on what it really is to love God... Uh, I think is helpful. So to see it in these terms, when I, me loving God is not so much uh, how I feel about God, though we're glad that sometimes it feels good when we have uh, uh, religious experiences or heartfelt uh, times of worship. But loving God involves some, some real practical actions, things that we can pursue and uh, it, it uh, doesn't so much involve our feelings. Because, and I, I'm thankful for that because if that were the case, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of Monday mornings when I wake up, I'd be in trouble. Uh, if, if my love for the Lord, my Christianity was based on how I felt. Amen? Anybody can identify with me? <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> um, so we've talked about uh, numbers of aspects of this. We've talked about the idea of self-sacrifice, and God demonstrates this to us, and we uh, demonstrate our love through self-sacrifice, through laying aside ourselves in order to focus our attention on God. It involves commitment. It involves delighting in Him, and that aspect of delight is uh, what we have most recently talked about. It is to take exquisite pleasure in someone or something, and uh, this might be a little bit of where uh, some feeling would be appropriate, uh, but uh, we learn uh, to take delight. You know, you can train yourself to delight in something, and uh, a lot of that is a matter of, of uh, acquiring a taste for something. There are a lot of things that I enjoy eating now that as a child I didn't used to enjoy eating. Uh, maybe some of you can identify with that. There were things that my, that my parents made me eat because it was good for me. And um, later on as I grew older I, I have learned to appreciate the taste of, of certain things that I didn't used to enjoy at all. I acquired a taste. We can learn, we can train ourselves to delight in the Lord. The next part of the definition is to rejoice in serving Him. To rejoice in serving Him. The key verse along these lines uh, would be found in the 100th Psalm, especially verse 2. And I'm, I, this is a passage that I've committed to memory a long time ago, but I need to start with verse 1. I can't just jump into the middle. I, uh, I remember uh, beginning with, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, and then we come to verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. And we are called on to serve Him with gladness. Uh, when we go to our places of employment, and uh, we go through our, uh, our routines there. Uh, it makes a difference when you have something that is 
nothing more than a job, it's nothing more than a source of income, or it's, uh, if you can enjoy your work and take pleasure in your work, that makes your work a lot easier, doesn't it? It's more than just a source of income. I uh, think of the times that I've had to uh, go to the doctor or, or be served by a, uh, a nurse or a doctor. Um, I think, think of the times that I've been visiting others and I've observed um, nurses or, or uh, a tech, a patient care assistant, whatever you call them. And uh, actually, I worked in that environment for a number of years, and, and it's really sad to see the ones in that kind of setting who make it painfully obvious that the only thing they are there for is a paycheck. You know, when you are providing care and service to someone who is already in a position that they don't want to be in, nobody wants to be sick and in the hospital. They don't want to be there. But it certainly makes that position a lot easier uh, to deal with if the people that are caring for you are, are pleasant and easy to get along with. And they act like they, they don't mind helping you. And some of them seem to even seem, uh, seem to express some enjoyment in their responsibilities, that they enjoy providing service. It makes a difference. I've experienced the same thing at, at uh, restaurants. I don't know, some of you maybe have never been sick a day in your life and never been in the hospital and never had to receive care like that, but most all of us, you've probably been to a restaurant where you had a, a waiter or a waitress that, you know, we've all had one experience or the other where they just delighted in serving you, they wanted to make you happy, they were just Johnny on the spot with your refills or or uh, if you're at uh, uh, wherever one of these places like Texas Roadhouse where they keep bringing bread to your table and you know you run out of bread oh would you like some more bread boy that's that's what I like to see I like to see them just happy to keep me happy um, but then you have the other side of that coin where they are just there to collect their paycheck and they're hoping for your tip also at the end of your meal, uh, but you hardly see them between uh, courses or you run out of your, your drink, your drink runs low and, and you have to, to suck out of your straw a little bit to where it makes that loud slurping noise and hope that the waiter or waitress gets the hint, you know, and then they'll maybe come and give you a refill. They're delighting in serving you, or not. Well, God calls us to love Him, and part of loving Him is to rejoice in serving Him, to serve the Lord with gladness. Let's notice, first of all, the relationship between love and service, the relationship between love and service. A number of passages of scriptures that we can look at along these lines, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, 
to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Then another passage of scripture that we could look at, Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, and so on and so forth. And then another passage of scripture, and we'll be referring to this passage again a little bit later on, but Joshua chapter 22 Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So what could we say about the relationship between love and service? I think one of the easiest things, one of the easiest statements to make out of this is simply service is love's expression. One of the ways love expresses itself is through service. Jesus taught this himself. We, you can look at a number of passages, a number of verses in John chapter 14, and then also another verse in John chapter 15, where numerous times Jesus uh, says to his followers, to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I think it's important for us uh, to, to remember, you know, this is not like the... Uh, this is not like the sibling rivalry or the uh, or maybe the uh, love relationship between a man and a woman where uh, it's this kind of stated if you really loved me you'd do what I, I wanted you to do you know if you really cared for me we need to understand that love in that context pursues what is best for the object of its love. Love pursues what is best for the object of its love. God can very safely say, and we can very safely respond in obedience to the commands of God and following Him and serving Him because God's ways are always best for us. God knows His ways are best. We can trust that His ways are best. And so we ought to submit to Him. And when Jesus tells us, you know, I, I, let me see if I can make this a little plainer than mud. You know, the, the, uh, the husband says to the wife, if you really love me, you'll let me buy the expensive sports car. Something like that. Um, that. It's not that kind of love. That's not the kind of thing that God is telling us. That's not the kind of thing that Jesus expressed to his disciples when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I believe the, the thrust is more... A, th that our obedience to following God, keeping his commandments, to serving him, the thrust is more it is a result of our loving God. A requirement, yes, but also a result of. If we love God, the one that you love, you will delight in serving. You will delight in walking in obedience. 
But there is more than just this idea that service is the expression of love. It is a certain kind of service. And we see that mentioned, I believe, in all three of those verses that we read for the two from Deuteronomy and also the one uh, in Joshua. A certain kind of service. Did anybody catch the kind of service that is called for in those verses? Say that again. To love God. To love God. Say, yeah, somebody else. All of the heart, you're getting, you're, you're getting closer. Yeah, it is wholehearted service. Wholehearted. Not half-hearted, but wholehearted service. Do you know the difference between wholehearted and half-hearted service to God? Um, maybe you've seen what half-hearted service looks like. I've certainly seen half-hearted service. I've been a supervisor before. Um, I didn't like being a supervisor, but I have been a supervisor for about two years. And uh, so I know the difference between half-hearted and wholehearted service. It is half-hearted service that required me to every once in a while walk behind those employees that I looked out for and uh, almost invariably I would find something uh, undone or half done that ought to have been done and I would have to go to that individual and tell them, you know, here is this that needs to be done. One of the things that we did in, in stocking and supplying hospital supplies, we were responsible for keeping track of expiration dates. And those, those supplies, many of those medical supplies had expiration dates, just like the, the things that you buy at the grocery store. And some of the supplies that were needed to, to be kept on hand were not used very often. And so it was necessary to keep track of those expiration dates. And when you would bring new supplies in, you would have to watch the dates and bring the, the, uh, the items that would expire earliest to the front of the shelf so they would get used up and not wasted. Because if it expired, then you had to throw it away unused. And so we had to rotate stock and all of that. And I almost always found... <laughs> people that weren't doing their job in that respect. I think of a story my dad used to tell about my, I believe it was my granddad. My granddad was given the job of planting beans on one occasion in the garden. I think it was beans. And um, they, he said, uh, you, I want this done by the time I come home from work, his dad told him. And he was out in the garden planting away and working and his, some friends came along and I, I don't know, maybe they wanted to go play ball or I, I'm not sure, but they wanted him to go along and play with them somewhere and he said, oh, I've got to plant these old beans. And um, they said, well, we'll help you. Now, you know, one young boy planting beans doing work as that's kind of risky enough, but a group of boys doing work together, helping helping one another, that's a little more risky. And they worked along together for a little while until finally one of them had a bright idea and said, hey, bring me the bag of beans. 
And I said, okay. And they brought the bag of beans, and that little boy got down and dug one big hole and dumped the whole bag in, covered it over, and turned and said, there. Now you can, when your dad comes home, there, you can tell him you planted all the beans. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. So they went off and had a good time. Dad came home and said, planted the beans. Yeah, they're all planted. Uh, but, you know, that kind of thing reveals itself sooner or later. That's the thing about half-hearted service. And a number, I don't know, however long it, it took for those beans to start sprouting, but um, it wasn't too long before my granddad, when he was a boy, that he was called out, Son, what is the meaning of this? And he went out and he said there were beans sprouting just everywhere out of this one little patch of dirt in the garden. Half-hearted service. You know, it's easy to, to think about wholehearted. We, we think about loving God with our whole heart, but serving God with our whole heart. What does that mean? Serving. Loving with your whole heart, that's one thing. What is serving with your whole heart? Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul gives us this instruction. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord not as unto man. And you know, if our service to God is half-hearted, then it's very likely that our love for God is half-hearted as well. Any, um, th- this is not the typical sermon, this is more of a study, so a- any thoughts or questions along these lines before we move on? Anybody? No pressure. If you don't have a question, that's fine. Maybe you got all of this. You're getting it all. So that's, that's good. I'll just assume if you're not asking questions, then you are, you are getting this. So the next point, we, we talk about loving God and serving God. Um, what does God consider a life in service to him? What does God consider a life lived in service to Him? If loving God means rejoicing in serving Him, then what does service to God look like for us? What does it look like for you? And, you know, that's a good question. We hear things in different circles about uh, full-time Christian ministry. Or you may hear the term vocational Christian ministry. But I want to point you to this phrase from the verse I mentioned uh, from Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And this is to point out that there is no distinction, and God makes no distinction between secular and sacred work. In God's eyes, you serving God at your place of employment is no different from me serving God as pastor of this church. You serving God wherever you happen to work, whatever you happen to to be involved with, whatever your responsibilities are, is no different from me serving God in, in pastoral ministry. God, you know, we are the ones who make distinctions between sacred and secular. 
But in God's eyes, all of life is sacred. Everything that we do, we can do. It is possible for us to do as unto the Lord. You know, one of the things interesting about the nation of Israel, that there are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel we read about, and only one tribe of 12 was devoted to what we would call full-time Christian ministry. Only one tribe. That was the tribe of Levi. They were, this was the tribe that was responsible for the priesthood. They were responsible for uh, the, the, uh, all the work that was done around the tabernacle and then what later became the temple. It was all the tribe of Levi. Well, that left 10, 11, 11 other tribes. And we say, well, what were they supposed to do? Well, they served God in their own way in their own capacity. It was not the way that the priests served God. It was not the way that the tribe of Levi served God, but whatever they had to do, uh, they served God. Now, I mentioned to you this verse from Joshua chapter 22 a few moments ago, and the interesting thing is who this is addressed to. Joshua 22 verse 5 uh, says that uh, he's encouraging these people, these ones that he's talking to, to be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses uh, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Who Joshua was talking to was not the tribe of Levi, but he was talking to the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You'll see that if you look at chapter 22, verse 1. Um, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, have obeyed my voice, and not forsaken your brother these many days, and have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord. Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. What's he talking about? Um, These two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, before they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, they saw that the land, the area they were in was suitable to them, was pleasing to them. They were people who kept uh, uh, cattle who kept flocks and they saw it was good grazing land and, and a good area for them to live. And they requested of Moses that Moses allow them to keep their, uh, to have as their inheritance, their land, uh, the, the land on, uh, I believe it would have been the east side of the Jordan River before actually crossing over into Canaan land. And uh, Moses said to them, but but what about your brothers that have to go in and make the conquest of the land? Are you going to leave them to fight the fight on their own? And they said, no, we're not going to leave them. We're going to go in with them through the Jordan to the promised land. We'll help them fight the battles, fight the enemies. But then after they have all come into their inheritance, into their land, then we'll, we'll go back and take possession of our own land, our own inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. So what were these men? Well, they were men, essentially they were shepherds. They, they kept cattle. They were f- kind of like farmers. 
So can a farmer be in the service of God while he's doing his or her farming? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what Joshua tells them. He reminds them not to forget when they go back, they go back to their, to their land that they had chosen. Don't forget to love God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments. So essentially, this is what it looks like to serve God. In, in whatever your occupation is, your vocation, wherever it might be, it is to love God, walk in his ways, and keep his commandments. And finally, it is essentially to have one master. To have one master. And uh, we, we will come back to this topic, by the way. Uh, there's another part to still talk about rejoicing and serving God, but this will conclude uh, the lesson for this evening. To have one master, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, this is where Jesus said to his disciples, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other, or else he will despise the one and cling to the other. You cannot serve both God and money there in that context. There's another passage of scripture uh, from the writings of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, where he makes this even more clear. Romans chapter 6. Verse 15, he says, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves or servants, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." Then verse 22, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you gain leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. <coughs> there is simply no such thing as being uh, a servant of the Lord and a servant of the world or, or a servant of anything else. We can only have, as God's followers, one master, only one and as we live this life, it's, it's important that we remember it's not just that we do what Jesus would do. You know, you remember, I, th I guess it was back in the 90s that that old book came back into prominence in, uh, in his steps. And uh, the, the question from that book, what would Jesus do? And, you know, the story goes of this businessman who decided to conduct all of his business and everything that he did based on that question, what would Jesus do? <clears throat> well, it's more than just what would Jesus do. It's what would Jesus do if Jesus was living my life? What would Jesus do if he was living my life? What would Jesus do if he was married to my spouse? What would Jesus do if he was the parent of my children? What would Jesus do if he worked at the place where I work? And then we look at our life in that way, and that's how we serve God. 
and we learn to rejoice in serving him. And half-hearted service reflects the possibility of a half-hearted love for God. And I think one of the things that may be good for us to pursue, to seek God for, is, oh God, give me a fresh heart of love for you, that I can serve you fully, serve you wholeheartedly, with all of my heart. Amen. To love God is to rejoice in serving him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be at work in our hearts and lives to make us into the people you want us to be. Give us a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit, a fresh uh, renewing of our love for you. Lord, remind us of what it was like when we first came to you and found forgiveness of sins and came to the realization that our past was erased, everything was forgiven, and oh, how we were grateful and how we loved you for all that you had done for us. Lord, remind us of those days and let our love for you be fresh and new and let us daily rejoice in serving you. And we'll thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.